0: Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Well, hello everyone again. My name is Jose, campus pastor here, West Palm Beach campus. So glad to be with you guys and sharing the word with you this morning. I just want to honor the band one more time. Can we just do that? You would, yeah, you would never guess, you would never guess that last night we were rearranging the whole team. (laughs) Because, poor thing, Haley was actually not feeling well. She actually sends her regards to all you. She wanted to be here this morning. She wasn't feeling well. She caught a a head cold. And so we said, Haley, you stay home. We're going to, We're going to do this because it's by the Lord's strength that we come here and we serve him, not our own. And so thank you, Miranda. Thank you, Karen, and the rest of the team. You guys did awesome. Wonderful job. I'm like, where are my notes? It's under my Bible. (laughs) So anyways, um, before we begin today, I want to just give you a couple quick things that are going on in the life of our church. Number one, we're adjusting our preaching rhythm. So, if you've been here the past couple months, you will have noticed that we were engaging uh, really our communication time here with the broadcast, transmitting the message from the West Campus, or now called the Loxahatchee Campus, over here. We are actually reversing that. Now we're doing in-preaching, in-person preaching here, and we're going to use the broadcast. (laughs) We can clap for that. (laughs) So, uh, we're going to be doing... um, we're going to be doing in-person preaching, and then we're going to use the broadcast on special occasions to unite the church in special occasions and for special messages. So, amen. So, so thank you for your patience. I know it was a little bit wonky sometimes. We can just, we can just say that in the room. Sometimes it wasn't perfect. I'm going to use that word. It was a little wonky, wasn't it? Um, but thank you for being patient. Thank you for all your feedback and your love and your care. I mean, it really meant a lot. And by the way, I always tell to everybody who came up to me and talked to me, I always say, you can tell me anything. I am open for constructive criticism all the time. As long as it's not about Cuban food, I'm open to it, okay? Don't tell me Cuban food ain't good because that's, that's a darn lie. So anyways, if you want to know more about this, that's all I'm going to say about that. If you want to know more about this, I invite you to come to our partnership gathering on the 12th. Tuesday the 12th, so not this Tuesday. It's going to be next Tuesday the 12th at 7 p.m. Pastor Dale is going to be there. And we're going to be talking about what's going on in the life of this campus, West Palm Beach campus. So don't miss it. Don't miss it. Tuesday the 12th at 7 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. Don't miss it. So, But anyways, today we're beginning a three-week series on the authority of Scripture, which is really a conversation about truth. If in actuality, and we're titling it true for you, you got to say it that way because it has a question mark true for you. And so what we'd like to suggest for the next three weeks is that we love God with our minds in this space because we're going to, we're going to be talking about um, a little bit of some conceptual topics like the authority of scripture and truth, but we're going to at the end of the day, we're always going to bring it home and we're going to apply it. So we're going to do both. And so you see, our team, which, which consists of Pastor Brandon, myself, Pastor Dale, Pastor Trevor, um, Kathy Copan, and Pastor Ephraim, we were, we were thinking about what happens during this space here, the preaching portion of our time together. We have worship, we have prayer, we have preaching, right? And what happens in this space is that we, we elevate the authority of Scripture. We put this at a place where we say, this is what has authority for our lives, and is truth. In fact, the series verse for this series, True For You, is 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, where it says, all scripture is God-breathed. That's where we get the word inspired. The is inspired, if you've ever heard that terminology. So all scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness for what? so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know, but we began asking, does everybody know that Scripture is the authority in our lives? Is everybody making that assumption that we are? And we didn't want to leave that up to chance. And that's why we are starting off this month with this series and the questions are, does everybody know why we do this? Why we elevate scripture? It's a question of trust. Can you trust me in preaching the word? Can you trust, can you trust the scriptures? It's a question of trust. And these are some important questions that we're going to get to. And we don't want to assume everybody's got this 100%. And that's why we're doing this series. And ultimately, the goal of this part of the service, this, this series, is that the preaching would make more sense the preaching portion of our service would make more sense and why we elevate the scriptures so highly. And you know, we're also going to answer some unspoken questions perhaps in your minds about scripture and truth and things going on in our culture. And it's really going to be a sort of a baseline for us to grow from, where we can grow from truth and the authority of scripture. And so, as we begin our series i 'd like to start off with a with a brief story uh, one day I was, I was driving up from miami to um, yeah, driving up from Miami to West Palm and I was getting off on exit ninety seven in Southern Boulevard and It was a Sunday morning, so it was clear no, there was no traffic it was beautiful. I was driving up and i 'm getting off on the off ramp on exit ninety seven in Southern Boulevard when all of a sudden This person just stops right in front, on the off ramp, just comes to a complete stop. And so like any vigilant person would do, I literally slammed my brakes and I stopped right behind her. I did not hit the car. Praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord. Now guess guess what happens next? Guess what happens next? She puts her car in reverse. (laughs) Oh, yes. And I was late to church that day because I was driving up from Miami I was that we were at a a local church over here a couple years ago and she backs up her car and she didn't see me and she goes bang and she hits me right in the front of the car and actually it was my mom's car unfortunately it wasn't my car (laughs) but that aside (laughs) I got saved that day um so needless to say, needless to say, let's keep going. Um, she reverses and slams into the car. I lose my salvation for about five seconds. I regain it and I get out of the car and we have a civil conversation together. And I said, I got to call the police because you know that nine times out of 10, the person at fault is the person in the back, right? Got to call the police. She says, no, I'm leaving. She gets in her car and she leaves so I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to wait for the cops. I give the cops my story. Long story short, I get, a, I get a, a letter in the mail. She claimed with her insurance that I hit her. So here we go. Luckily, luckily, right, she was claiming I hit her. I was claiming I, she hit me. She was claiming that I hit her. But who had the truth? Where was the truth? Fortunately for me, really, and unfortunately for her, there was a camera on the toll plaza that caught everything. I'm telling you right there, that's, a, that's an argument right there for the existence of God. I'll tell you. So um, now you'd probably look at me funny if I told you, you know, the cops just came and they got my story and they got her story and they said, oh, it's just a matter of perspective. Just a matter of perspective. Each, it doesn't matter. They're both true. They're both true. Uh, You guys are both right. It's okay. Don't feel bad. You'd probably look at me and tell me, um, there's something wrong with our legal system at this point, isn't there? (laughs) If two opposing stories can be true at the same time, there is something, something wrong. And unfortunately, that's exactly what's happening in our culture. It's exactly what's happening. Um, In our culture today, anything can be true for you. Anything can be true for me, and that's what they're saying. Every single faith, every single religion, every single worldview, people are claiming whatever you want to believe, that's great for you. That's great for you. I believe my own stuff. That's true for you, and that's true for me. Truth is under assault. I don't know if you've ever heard of the term relative truth. Truth is relative. That's what I'm going at this morning. The claim that people in our culture are saying there is no such thing as absolute truth. Everything is relative. Alan Bloom writes in his book, The Closing of the American Mind, where he says, Almost every student entering the university believes or says he believes that truth is relative. Catch that. Meaning that truth claims are really just opinions or culturally shaped perspectives. Facts, moral precepts, or values can be true for you and at the same time, not true for me. Hmm. So this problem of relative truth in our culture is at the heart of this series because catch this, if truth is relative, does the Bible have any authority in our lives? No. If truth is relative, the Bible has no authority because if truth is relative, then nothing is actually true. But this morning, now that we've noticed the inconsistency of of relative truth, I want to take a look at Scripture because actually you and I aren't the first Christians that are dealing with this problem. We're not. As a matter of fact, 2,000 years ago, the early church was in a very pluralistic culture as well that believed in all sorts of gods and all sorts of things. And they had to figure out a way to live a genuine, truthful, Christian life. And they did. And I think that there's some lessons for us to learn in here. So if you would come, if you would turn with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 13. Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 13. And this is a, a nice chunk of scripture. We always like to, sometimes some of our scripture is going to be a little shorter on Sundays. Today's a little bit longer. His acts is sort of a historical narrative of what happens in the, the early church. And, um, so it's a little, little bit longer, but I invite you to follow along in your Bible or on the screen. And I'm going to go through it, uh, and we're going to, we're going to have a nice conversation about it. So, um, Acts chapter 17, verses one through 13. It says, when Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue and as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, catch this explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. And here's the key. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. He said, so some of the Jews were persuaded and they joined Paul and Silas as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, they formed a mob, and they started a riot in the city. And they rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other believers before the city officials shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. And they are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there's another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. And then they made Jason and the others postpone and they let them go. In verse 10. It says, as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas on on their way to Berea. And on arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. And now the Bereans, I love this, uh, I love the adjectives that he uses here. He says, now the Bereans were of more noble character than than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Isn't that incredible? And as a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, As your servant Samuel prayed, we say, Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. Your servants are listening. Lord, we ask today that you would speak to our hearts. You would speak to our minds. Lord, you would help us to put this into practice and help us to be your church more faithfully. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so before diving in, let's discuss just a little bit of the context of what's going on because we just, it's almost as if we propped open a book and we're reading right in the middle of it. So what is going on in the book of Acts? Well, the book of Acts is actually the second volume of a two-part work. So if you're familiar, the four gospels, one of them is the gospel of Luke, right? The gospel of Luke and the book of Acts are actually written by the same person, Luke, who was a traveling co-worker of Paul, and it's actually one work, two volumes. One work, two volumes. And really, the book of Acts is is an account of how, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the church began, and the church accomplished its mission by reaching the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are really anybody who is not a Jew. And so, in the verses that we just read, Paul takes the gospel to two cities. First, to Thessalonica, and Thessalonica was really a big uh, sort of central city in Macedonia, very, uh, very prominent, uh, more wealthy than Berea. And then the second city is, is Berea, like I just said. And it was a smaller, more historically speaking, insignificant town, if you want to put it that way, just a smaller town. And so in the text, we encounter these two different people from Thessalonica and Berea, and one of them found truth, and the other one didn't. And we're going to see why. So firstly, we notice in the text that truth is reasonable. Truth is reasonable with a little play on words. In other words, able to be reasoned with. Able to be reasoned with. Let's look again at Acts 17, verses 2 to 3, just to refresh our memory. Acts 17, verses 2 and 3. It says, as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue. And on on the three Sabbath days, he reasoned. There's that key word. He reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. And this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. So like it, says, like it says in the text, Paul would enter into the synagogues, which is sort of like the Jewish church, right? He would go in and he would say, Jesus is the Messiah. But he wouldn't just say it. He would open up the scriptures and he would prove it to them. And it was up to them to search the scriptures with him and believe. And if you're unfamiliar with the term Messiah, it really means anointed one. And and what the Jews were waiting for was this promise that God had made hundreds of years ago that said, my people, I'm going to send you a Messiah. I'm going to send you a Savior that's going to liberate you. It's going to free you. It's going to be your Savior. And so here comes Paul claiming that Jesus is that Messiah after hundreds of years And he's reasoning with them in the scriptures. But the key for us is how he unveiled the truth to them. He was reasoning with them. It sort of reminds me when my brother was in elementary school and he brought home every parent's absolute worst nightmare. You know what that is? (laughs) A hamster, sure. But I got one worse. A science fair school project. (laughs) So, (laughs) So my teachers in the room, I love you. I love you. Just want to say that. Um, And so, but he brought home a science fair project and my parents weren't too keen on science. And so it was always a little challenging for them. But here he is as a kindergartner. He needs a science fair project. And my parents land on this hypothesis that stated everything that has wings flies. Everything that has wings flies. And they were going to argue that it's true. Okay. If you know where I'm going with this, and don't break the bubble for somebody who doesn't, so um, everything that has wings flies. So when they made the project, they got all these pictures of birds. you know how the science for projects are. You have a big board, you put the pictures on there, you you sort of prove your hypothesis, right? the question that you're trying to answer. Um, and so they called my aunt, and my aunt was is a retired elementary school teacher, and she told and you know they went to basically brag to her and and she said. My, my, when my mom called her, she said, hey, so we got this project, and it's amazing. Everything that has wings, flies, and it was just the easiest thing, and he's going to get an A, so on and so forth. And she says, what about ostriches? Ooh. Five seconds later, that project was in the dumpster. <laughs> tough day as a parent, tough loss as a parent. But really, my aunt, with a simple use of reason, proved their assumption wrong. It couldn't be right, it couldn't be true and false at the same time. When I think of a simple use of reason, I think of the Christian philosopher J.P. Moreland who tells of his encounter with a student at the University of Vermont. Catch this, Moreland was speaking in a dorm room and the student who lived there said, whatever is true for you is true for you and whatever is true for me is true for me. If that's, if there's something that works for you because you believe it, that's great. But no one should force his or her views on anybody because truth at the end of the day is relative. That's what this student was saying. And so Moreland nodded, waved, grabbed the student's stereo and was walking out the door with it. And the student said, Hey, hold up. What are you, what are you doing? And Moreland said, you're not going to force me to believe that stealing is wrong. Are you? You're not going to force me to believe that it is absolutely true that stealing is wrong. And Paul quite literally was doing the same thing. He was using reason. He was using the faculties that God had given him, that God had given us. Reasoning with the scriptures to show them that their assumptions, their hypothesis really about God and his promises were not true. What they thought was not true. And they needed to change their minds. And the reason he's able to do this is because Christianity is a reasonable faith. Christianity is a reasonable faith that stands firm on the truth claims of Jesus. On the truth claims of Jesus. In fact, Jesus, if you're a believer in Jesus, Jesus leaves absolutely no space for relativity. Absolutely none. As a matter of fact, and I'm not not just going to say it. I'm going to reason from the scriptures with you. If you look at John 8, verses 31 to 32, um, it's there on the screen. And it says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold on to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And another passage, while Jesus was on trial for his crucifixion, he says to Pontius Pilate in John 18, 36 through 38, He says, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. He didn't say to testify to my opinion. He said to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And this this question astounds me because it's exactly what we're asking. Pilate said, what is truth? Retorted Pilate. What is truth? And Jesus answers that question in John 14, 6. And this is, this is really the kicker. He says, I am the way and the truth. The truth and the life. No one, comes through the, no one comes to the Father except through me. If he would have said, I am a way, I am a truth, I am a life. I'm one of the ways that you can get to the Father. That's a different story. There's no room for relativity there. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's either right or he's wrong, folks. It's either true or it's not. And as Christians, we're here to say, yes, it is true. And absolute truth does exist. But it's not found in a philosophy or perspective, church. It's found in a person, it's not found in a philosophy or perspective. It's found in a person. And he proved everything in this book right here is true when he rose from the grave. Indisputable. You know, and if you struggle with that claim, I invite you to go to our, our skeptics class led by uh, Kathy Copan and Victor Copan. They are wonderful. You will not regret it. You won't regret it. And so first, we see the truth is reasonable. In other words, able to be reasoned with. Secondly, we see that truth transcends emotion. Truth transcends emotion. Look at me. Look with me. It's uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 5. We're going to read verse 5, and then we're going to jump to verse 13. It's going to be on the screen as well. But the other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace and they formed a mob and they started a riot in the city and they rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them to the crowd. And here's the first 13, those same Jews. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. You see, so while one group of citizens at Thessalonica, they they heard the truth, and it says some of them believed at Thessalonica, another group let their emotions get the best of them, and they got jealous. They got jealous. And so not only did they get jealous, they played at the emotions of the crowd, and they made a huge turmoil among the crowds. And the Jews in that crowd, when they were played at their emotions, they were persuaded to go along with that feeling. In many ways, we can, we can say the truth, right? Our emotions do get in the way of truth sometimes. And why is that, you would ask? Well, because the truth hurts sometimes, doesn't it? The truth hurts sometimes. <laughs> and sometimes, because it hurts, we like to ignore it. And we don't like to take it for face value. It reminds me of, of the man that went to the doctor, and the doctor ran some tests, and he said, you're going to face some serious consequences if you don't change your diet and your exercise. So the doctor put the man on a dieting regimen. But of course, this was going to be difficult because he wasn't used to it for his whole life. And so the man had some sons, and the sons called their father and said, Dad, how's your diet and exercise regimen that the doctor put you on? And the the father said, Son, it's going great. I changed my doctor. (laughs) He didn't want to hear it, (laughs) you know. And the same thing happens to us. It's hard for our emotions to accept truth sometimes. It's hard. And so what do we do? We justify it. We choose to ignore it or we change it. We relativize it. For the Jews, accepting the truth about Jesus meant admitting to the false narrative that they were wrong. That they misunderstood who Jesus was. That he actually was their Messiah. He wasn't going to free them from Rome. He was going to free them from their sin he wasn't going to be violent he was going to be graceful and loving for us the truth about jesus means that you're not in control of your life means that the final authority is god means he is lord and i'm not and you're not he's the one in control it means acknowledging our sin before a holy god it's hard jesus puts it this way blessed are the poor in spirit in other words blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt who recognize that we're not perfect, that we can't reach God on our own. We need the grace of the Lord Jesus. And sometimes our emotions can trick us into relativizing that very truth. And what do we do? We just live however we want and we ignore it. Now, you would say, Jose, this sounds, this sounds a little harsh. It sounds tough. And it's true because it's, it's truth. However, I wanna put all this in perspective, I wanna put the truth into perspective. Because there's something missing tagged along there, which we're about to talk about, you're about to see in the personhood of Jesus in John 1, 14. And this verse really puts our faith into perspective, our truth into perspective. And it says, the apostle John writes, the word became flesh, talking about Jesus, made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. The Bible says that Jesus was not just full of truth. He was not just full of grace. He was full of grace and truth at the same time. You see, and this is an important distinction because truth without grace is legalism. Truth without grace is legalism, and don't forget that. And I've taught, I've had countless conversations with people who grew up in some really legalistic traditions. I think maybe you have too. And almost always legalism ruins your perspective of God, doesn't it? It it ruins the perspective of his grace. On the other hand, grace without truth is what? Superficial. If there's no truth, if there's no real sin, if there's no real authority to have to submit to, to be forgiven by, then we don't need grace. Without truth, grace is superficial. And the problem is that we have Christians who think that you can live a Christian life of just truth or you can live a Christian life of just grace. But actually, real Christianity is both at the same time, both grace and truth at the same time. You can't forget that. Yes, God's word is truth, and it hurts sometimes, but it's dispensed through the grace of Jesus. Amen. And so, number one, we see that truth is reasonable, in other words, and able to be reasoned. Number two, um, uh, truth transcends emotion. And finally, truth is not hidden. Truth is not hidden. The other side of that is it's available to us. It's available to us. Look at Acts 17, verses 11 through 12, which is really the key verse that we want to unearth here in this passage. 11 through 12 says now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And as a result, many of them believed as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. And now here's what I want us to notice in this text. Notice how the Bereans go to the scriptures and they find the truth. They had, just like the other Jews in Thessalonica, they had their assumptions about who the Messiah was going to be. They did as well. But they went to the scriptures with Paul and they saw that Jesus really was the Messiah. They found it for themselves. They didn't take Paul's word for it. They opened up the Bible. They opened up their scriptures And they found it for themselves. And I don't know about you. If the Apostle Paul was here, I'm not sure if I would feel the need to open up the scriptures and see if what he's saying is true. (laughs) But they did. They opened up the scriptures for themselves. See, there's actually a false narrative in our culture that truth is hidden. I don't know if you've heard that, but I have. In other words, we can't actually know the truth or we can't actually know the truth about God. That's really the implication. There's a false narrative that's saying that, but that's not true. Look what actually scripture teaches. And Paul says this in Colossians 1, 26 through 27. And this is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Paul says, the mystery has been kept hidden for ages and generations, he says. But it is now, here's the key word, it is now disclosed. It's now available To the Lord's people, to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of the mystery, which is Christ. Christ in you. That's what it says, the hope of glory. There's no more mystery about who God is. It's been disclosed to us in the person of Jesus. That's actually what the Bible is. God's self-revelation to us. There's no more mystery. God has fully disclosed himself in the person of Jesus to us, and we can fully know him and live alongside him. And here's, here's the other thing. Are there some things that we want to understand about scripture? Absolutely, that's not what I'm trying to say. We're not gonna uncover every sort of end time prophecy uh, ever because we're just we just don't know, right? Or any other sort of biblical issues that are really debated and hot topics, right? But the important things about who God is, what he's done for us, and how we come to know him, all of that has been fully disclosed to us in the Bible. And because truth is not hidden, here's the implication. We're not afraid of questions. We're not afraid of people trying to unearth some kind of archaeological discovery or or prove that our faith is wrong. We're not scared of that because our truth is not hidden. We're not afraid of science. Actually, the Bible and science are not at odds. People just pit them against each other in such a way that we think that they are but they're really not. And as a church, practically, we're not afraid of people asking questions about the inner workings of our church because the truth is not hidden. And we practice that biblical principle in the life of our church. We have nothing to hide. We stand with truth every time. And actually the reason, on the other hand, that cults are so dangerous is because they're so secretive and they withhold the truth. And if you ever find yourself in an organization that withholds truth, doesn't give it to you, be weary. Because many times if you're withholding truth, it's because the foundation is a lie. Because the foundation is a lie. and But that's what I love about Christianity. The truth is available to you. You all have Bibles. You all have access to our church. The truth is available. There's nothing to hide. It's been disclosed. The truth is here. And actually in the, in the, uh, in the spirit of questions, in the spirit of truth, we're actually on the last Sunday of this series, which is Sunday the 24th, we're gonna be hosting a panel with some of my very own PBA professors who have doctorates and have studied scripture and all this stuff. And they're gonna be answering some questions. So here's what we need from you guys. If you guys can go ahead and send your questions and the, the link is, uh, I believe, on the screen, right? Communityofhope.church forward slash Bible questions. It's also gonna be on the COH app as well um, under the sermon discussion questions during the week. Send your questions in. We want to answer them on that day. And so in light of all this wrapping up now, how can we apply this talk on truth today? What can we take home with us? Well, number one, test others by the truth of scripture. Test others by the truth of scripture. See, people will say all sorts of things about the Bible, won't they? Have you ever heard the reference, the Bible says this. The Bible says X, Y, and Z. And not that they're automatically wrong if somebody says the Bible says, but a lot of times it can be out of context. And that's why you have to know your Bible. And you have to test and see if it really is true. Because I have been in multiple occasions where it's been exactly the opposite. And as a matter of fact, the church choirs are going off. (laughs) So that's my cue to, it's hungry, we got to go. I know. Um, So test, test others by the truth of Scripture. And that includes my words. Test my words. Test the pastor's words. Test Pastor Dale's words. As a matter of fact, if the Bereans tested Paul's words, I think you guys can test ours too. We want you to have your Bibles. We want you to be in the study, in the word yourselves. We put a high emphasis on that. And so we're never going to speak out of here, out of context. That's why we read a whole passage. But we want you guys to be vigilant, to be ready for when you find yourself in a context that isn't that way, that you know what to do pastors have no authority in and of themselves the authority is god's word the authority is god's word secondly test yourself by the truth of scripture and here's what i mean by that a lot of times people think a lot of times they ask me this question you know how do i know if god actually told me this jose how do i know if god revealed this to me and here's what i say if it lines up with the truth of scripture God very well may have told you that. But if it doesn't line up with the truth of Scripture, then maybe you have to think it again. Because while our religious experience is important and what we walk with the Lord and the Lord speaks to us through His Spirit and in our hearts and through our emotions, His Word is definite. His Word is here and we can guide ourselves by it. So, number one, test others by the truth of Scripture. Number two, test yourself by the truth of Scripture. And lastly, remember truth and grace remember truth and grace don't fall into the trap that everything is relative because there is absolute truth Jesus says there is he claimed that he is the absolute truth but on the other hand spread it gracefully don't spread don't spread it with a hard a hard heart of superiority spread it gracefully and spread it humbly because Jesus was full of grace and truth and so should we would you pray with me, Lord? We, uh, Lord, we come and we ask you, Jesus, that you would help us to understand your scriptures. You would help us to understand your truth. These are some pretty hard things and hard topics to think about and talk about sometimes, and and many times they can actually hurt because the truth hurts. But Lord, we're grateful for your grace. We're so thankful for your grace, Lord, that. Lord, in spite of the truth that we are sinners, in spite of the truth that, Lord, we broke the relationship with you, Lord, it was by your grace through Jesus that you restored that relationship. Lord, and we thank you and we live into that truth this morning. Lord, would you help us to test others by the truth of Scripture, other people's words, Lord, our culture by the truth of Scripture? Would you help us to test ourselves? by the truth of scripture would we put it so closely to our hearts Lord that our will would be your will as your word says and let us never forget that your truth never came with alone it came with your grace as well we thank you and we praise you we ask this in the name of Jesus amen Amen. Lord we just lift that song up we're coming back to your heart we're coming back to worship Lord, would you help us? Would you help us on a daily basis to have that attitude? To love you and to worship you in everything that we do. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. If anybody needs prayer today after church, we have our prayer team standing by on my left, your back right. We would love if you need prayer to go to the prayer team. Let me pray this blessing over you as we dismiss. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the holy spirit go with god church thank you so much we'll see you next week god bless